Hello and welcome to another edition of Flashpoint. I'm your host, Ryan Mills. Here today to discuss the Chemical Facility Anti-Terrorism Standards Program, or CFATS, are Jessica Falcon, Branch Chief for Compliance at the Infrastructure Security Compliance Division, and Josiah Hortega, Acting Deputy Director of the Infrastructure Security Compliance Division at the Department of Homeland Security. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Uh, let's start with reauthorization. Uh, how long of reauthorization would DHS like to see for CFATS? That's a great question, Ryan. Um, you know, first we want to uh, express the department's appreciation uh, for Congress uh, pushing through the uh, CFATS Act in 2014, and um, you know that really helped with uh, one providing stability uh, for both. Uh, us as the department and also the stakeholders uh, for understanding that, you know, it wasn't a year-by-year -year, um, continual reauthorization of wondering whether the program was going to exist. Some of the things that, you know, we would definitely say were much easier or would have been more difficult without that was, you know, we were going through the re-tiering effort and uh, been extremely successful in pushing through that piece. Um, and then another piece of that is also just getting through the backlog of the SSPs, you know, six years ahead of time. And, you know, just kind of hit more on that re-tiering effort. The key thing there, um, you know, uh, we'll be talking about this at the summit a lot, is just how fast we've become now in tiering, where previously, you know, it nearly took a year uh, for us to get someone a notification of their final tiering of being high risk. And right now we are literally averaging uh, 30 days from the time they submit that top screen. And to be honest, there's many people out there that are seeing it, you know, come back within a day or two of them hitting submit that they're getting their notification of their tiering letter. Um, so with all that being said, uh, you know, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, we have ongoing discussions between the Department and Congress right now. Uh, but we're confident that Congress uh, has seen the critical role of securing the nation's uh, high-risk chemical facilities and what CFADS plays in that, and uh, very optimistic to what is to come. Good. Well, does DHS ISCD have any plans to revise Appendix A, and if so, do you plan to involve stakeholders in opening proposed ch uh, changes up for notice and comment? Thank you. Thank you for that question. It's a good question. Um, if you recall, maybe in 2014, um, ISCD did initiate a rulemaking process to help us identify how to make the chemical facility anti-terrorism standards uh, regulation more effective. Uh, in this effort, we were addressing all aspects of CFETs. This also included um, Appendix A. Um, and during that time, we had multiple listening sessions, and this included a roundtable uh, discussion that focused specifically on Appendix A. Um, we, if we were to open up Appendix A for revisions, it would have to go through the normal uh, rulemaking process, which includes a notice and comment period um, to receive feedback um, from the public. So DHS, uh, we're currently looking at um, some next steps for the CFAST rulemaking efforts, but any updates that we have on that process would appear in the Unified Agenda and the Federal Register uh, regulatory and uh, deregulatory actions. Okay. To what extent and how would DHS ISCD like to reform the risk-based performance standards? Um, yeah, so over the last 10 years of implementing the CFAS program, uh, we have done and reviewed over uh, 20 or 2,700 uh, facility security plans. And in doing that, we have identified ways that we're able to classify the risk-based performance standards um, through the reviews into five overarching uh, security objectives. Um, these objectives, where all the risk-based performance standards fall, um, are detection, delay, response, cybersecurity, and security management. Um, the facilities are still required to meet 
the standards laid out in uh, the risk or in the regulation, uh, but they do all fall into these five areas. Um, any changes that we would want to make to the risk-based performance standards that are in the regulation would have to go through the same process that we discussed with uh, Appendix A and go out for a notice and comment to be able to get feedback from uh, the public on any other changes that they may want to make. How do you feel about the uh, expedited approval program as working for uh, Tier 3 and Tier 4 facilities? Is it being widely used? So as you uh, may recall, there is a recent GAO report that's out there, um, and I'll talk a little bit about that, but did want to give just kind of a summary of what the program is um, for those that are, those that are listening. Um, so the expedited approval program is a viable tool for uh, our Tier 3 and 4 facilities. Um, this is a self-certification of a security plan that meets the applicable risk-based performance standards for that facility. There are prescriptive security measures that we have outlined in the DHS guidance for the expedited approval program. So rather than the facility submitting a standard site security plan to us um, and going through and being authorized and having an authorization inspection, um, the facility would certify that they are doing everything in the, um, that guidance or if they want to deviate from anything explaining what they're doing there. Um, and then certifying that they're doing that and we review it. Um, if the facility, as long as they're not found facially deficient, uh, when we do the review, the facility then goes uh, straight into the compliance process and bypasses the authorization and the authorization inspection. Um, I did speak about and mention the GAO report at the, at the beginning of the question and um, just want to follow up the GAO um, in there did identify that we've only had a few um, facilities submit so far that is accurate. Um, they did not offer up any recommendations. Um, however, we did discuss with them some of the reasons why. Uh, we believe the EAP um, did have low um, participation. Uh, mostly uh, the EAP was part of the CFAS Act of 2014 um, and that came at a time when we the facilities that would have been eligible for it had already submitted their site security plans or alternative security programs and they were already in place or through that review process of the authorization. Um, there's also, um, it's been in our experience for most facilities that the site security plan or alternative security program allows for some flexibility for them to shape their own plan rather than the expedited approval program which was very prescriptive. Um, and then also we found that the authorization inspection prior to being approval, the approval has been helpful for facilities because it allows for the dialogue between us and the facility to ensure that they are meeting our standards and you know, offering up options for consideration that they might want to consider. Um, and the EAP bypasses that process. So some facilities may have uh, chosen the site security plan route or the standard site security plan route um, so they were given that opportunity to have the authorization inspection. Um, and then just one last thing on this question, I do want to point out that um, as we're going out and doing the um, new tiering effort or um, revised tiering effort with the new methodology we have, Tier 3 and 4 facilities that are newly tiered as Tier 3 and 4 facilities um, have the ability to um, submit under the expedited approval program and can weigh that as an option um, when they go to submit their site security plan. Okay, is the expansion of the personnel program into tier three and tier four sites still needed? 
So to um, answer that, first thing I wanted to clarify on that one, Ryan, particularly is um, uh, the personal surety program has applied to Tier 3 and Tier 4s um, for the identity, uh, the criminal history, and the authorization to work uh, aspects. Um, it's only the um, checking for terrorist ties piece that uh, has not applied to 3s and 4s. Um, so yes, we you know we we definitely you know feel strongly that you know that that does still apply that you want to make sure that you know we're, to reduce the risk as much as possible um, vetting people uh, that have access to the critical assets uh, and the uh, chemicals of interest uh, within the facilities are a uh, good screened against um, the terror screening database. Uh, but the one thing um, we do want to point out is, you know, we've been working with the Tier 1 and Tier 2s. We've been doing a uh, slow rollout with that and taking lessons learned. And uh, we've received some positive feedback. Uh, you know, the, the tool um, is very user-friendly. Um, you know, it's three data points that are utilized if you're doing uh, what we refer to as the uh, Option 1 direct vetting, um, name, date of birth, and gender or citizenship. And uh, the nice part is we have a bulk upload feature with that where you uh, literally can take our template, which is an Excel document, fill it out with uh, your personnel's uh, or your employee's information uh, for those data fields and uh, attach it just like uh, you would attach a document uh, on most standard uh, software programs. And it uploads it into the system and it's, it's done. Um, so we, we've received a lot of good feedback on that. Um, another thing to note, uh, you know, we released CSAT 2.0 back in October, um, and uh, we're in the process right now of updating the personal surety application uh, to match up better with um, CSAT 2.0. So although we've had a lot of positive feedback on how user-friendly it is, we believe we're actually making some more improvements based on the lessons learned to even make it uh, more user-friendly, and we're looking for that to come out this fall or for that uh, update to be deployed. And it's not going to change anything. Uh, submitted uh, information already. It's just going to change the view and then um, hopefully make it even easier uh, for them when they do that. And then now as far as the threes and the fours, uh, you know, we have uh, expectations that next year we'll be pushing out um, to uh, OMB uh, the uh, notice for approval. Uh, so that'll be going out for public comment. Uh, I would say probably next summer sometime, or, or I'm sorry, next summer we'll be looking to get approval. Uh, probably early part of the year next year uh, that would start coming out for comment in both a 60 and then a, th a follow-up 30-day notice uh, comma period. Um, but we'll be utilizing, again, all the data that we've gathered from the Tier 1 and Tier 2 facilities and what um, they have submitted to us for um, anticipating what that burden would be and then um, being able to, you know, help, uh, you know, show that case of how we've made it as simple as possible and very easy and how much this reduces an insider threat to these facilities. And uh, one last thing, you know, I'd like to note on that too is um, the department's actually had uh, some of the other sectors just reaching out, um, trying to get access to be able to do such things like this under a non-regulatory uh, framework. Um, so, you know, it, this is definitely something that um, sectors see, see as a threat and uh, are concerned with, and we just want to make sure uh, we're doing all we can to, to help mitigate that risk as much as possible. Jessica and Josiah, thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome.